Welcome to Masters of Business, a show that gives you real-world techniques, cutting-edge strategies, and extraordinary insights for managers and leaders who want to develop the business acumen needed to go faster and farther in their business careers. Now, here's the master himself, Stephen Haynes. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Stephen Haynes from Masters of Business. Um, As many of you know, this is a podcast and a vidcast focusing on leadership development with business acumen at its core. One of the key models that we use is something we call the business acumen canvas, which is a multidimensional model that allows people to look at all of the different dimensions that are required to build business acumen and leadership skills. located at business-acumen.com. Anyway, um, so welcome back, everybody. So today I am honored and and truly grateful um, for our guest, Deepa Prashathman. And I recently learned from Deepa about her and her work from her new book, which is called, I'm going to read this properly, The First, The Few, The Only, How Women of Color Redefine Power in Corporate America. Um, Deepa is a former senior executive and corporate inclusion visionary, and um, I am honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, I, I'm, it's amazing. Anyway, so um, I know that you have experienced much in your career, um, and I think it's critical um, to help others in this area. And admittedly, as a white male, um, I, I, I who has gone through diversity programs in corporate America, it is not 100% possible for us to really understand how to walk in somebody's shoes. And any opportunity, and especially because I've had a lot of years of experience, I wanna, I wanna recognize and acknowledge that this is an area that requires tremendous concentration and focus in this country and around the world, which is why this is so important. Um, so so thank you for being here. So first question out the gate, um, I would love you to share some of your background and experience. Now, of course, you can punctuate it with business things because we are business people and leaders and those are the people you work with. But tell us a little bit about your career and your journey along the way. Yep. Well, I spent over 21 years in corporate America, and I was a partner at Deloitte. I left um, about two years ago. Um, And so I say that because I left before the great resignation was a term. And so people thought it was, you know, um, poor choice to leave the stability that I had, but it just felt like it was time. Um, When I was at Deloitte, I served the tech and telecom industries and served clients. But in my last few years, I also took on a large inclusion role. So in addition to kind of helping define some of the strategy overall, I also led the women's initiative for Deloitte. Um, and Deloitte is one of the premier, you know, companies in that space, you know, it was something that was created in the 70s. And so it was a great, amazing opportunity where I got to work with other clients on their inclusion strategy and also help define, you know, and redefine Deloitte's. Um, you know, when I left, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. It was a combination of like looking for a greater purpose and also getting sick. Like I had some health issues that were growing. And so as a result of those things, it made sense to get off the road and, and, you know, decide to do something else. I wasn't sure what that would look like. And so I took eight months off to to honestly, to get better. Um, And during that time, I decided I could leave. I had a struggle with leaving that we can talk about. Uh, It's just hard. I was our first Indian female partner. I felt like there were a lot of eyes on me. And so my leaving wasn't just my leaving. It felt like it would signal a lot of things to a lot of people. So it took me quite quite a bit to leave. 
Um, and so in that process, I started meeting with women of color and that really evolved into what I stepped into next. So I wrote a book. I literally sold the book six weeks after I left Deloitte. So it was a very fast process. Um, and started a company called Information, which also focuses on creating community for women of color. Um, we focus on conversations, on supporting each other, and on research um, and other strategies for just coping in, in spaces that don't always recognize us or see us. Tell us the website again, please. It's Information. So the letter N and then Formation. Doc, doc. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we... I have an expression. I probably repeat it way too often, and it's it's you can't make an appointment with experience mm. and that things generally happen. And um, we do have these, these experiences along the way. And um, I, there, there was a comment that you had made when we spoke about this notion of the experiences that you've had, but then you used this expression, you called it adapting and editing yourself to mm -hmm. fit. And that, that you ultimately rejected that. And I, it sent shivers up my spine mm -hmm. because I know that we're all coached in many, many ways and throughout our careers, but that struck me. And I would love you to share what struck you about that and as much of a context around that yeah. as possible, because I think this really gets to the heart of what is important to talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. So I interviewed over 500 women of color in writing the book. And just to give you a little bit more flavor of how that even came about in my process of trying to leave, I, I mentioned it took me almost three years to leave. I started meeting with women of color. Those one-on-one -on -one dinners ended up turning into these group dinners. And I did about a dozen across the country uh, with my now co-founder, who was then my coach. And we ended up meeting about 300 senior women of color. And honestly, in just an attempt to figure out where else do I want to go? Where do senior women go at, you know, at that point in their career? We would get in these rooms. And I thought we were going to meet for an hour or two, six, seven, eight hours later, we were still sitting in rooms, having conversations about what it was like to navigate spaces, right? What it was like to be a first, a few, and an only. I didn't have the terms back then, but there were such shared stories, such shared compromise, such shared microaggressions, racism, all the things. And a lot of what has come up as I, you know, came out of those dinners years and years ago, but also now in having interviewed 500 women of color is this pressure to conform. And so I loved how you opened up the conversation because you said, you know, you really want to understand and you want to walk in other people's shoes and it's difficult. And I think that's really the crux of what we're talking about. You know, I have a term or a statement in the book where I say corporate America is not a meritocracy. And when I say that sometimes in spaces, people get really uncomfortable. But all I'm trying to say is that the, the system shows up differently for different people. And sometimes when I unpack that, what I explain is there's a story in the book that I opened the book up with. And I sat down with Renee Myers and she's the VP of inclusion at Netflix. And I thought she was going to talk about, you know, inclusion in workspaces. Instead, she started talking about airplane design. And she said when she was uh, a young mom, when she had when she had her children were young um, and she would get on airplanes, she would really struggle because whenever there was turbulence, she would really stress out that the luggage might you know fall on her children's head, like the, the compartment might open when there was turbulence. And I jumped in right away because I'm five one. And when I used to be a partner, I traveled three cities a week. And so the process of getting my luggage up in my, you know, up in that overhead six times a week was a really stressful process and something that I would think about a half an hour before I got on a plane. And so that sense of not belonging was really deep for me and something that I thought about, you know, quite a bit six times a week. And it also was something in such a small space that was so interesting to see that Renee and my focus was different, right? And she's a woman of color. 
And I say that to share, as I've shared that story with others, you know, people who are 5'10 or taller, maybe even 5'8 and taller, don't even think about the airplane issue, don't even think about the suitcase issue. And so it's a great ex- an example of how spaces show up differently for different people. And that the idea that it's a meritocracy, you know, maybe that was the intent, but it doesn't look that way. And part of why it doesn't happen that way is because there weren't women and women of color involved in the design in the 1970s when that actually was, was fit, when that was designed, like there weren't women in those seats. And so what I'm trying to explain is there's a lot that happens in corporate spaces and workspaces that ask women of color to edit themselves, to conform, that leadership looks a certain way. And because we don't have other role models that show us it can look differently, there is sometimes an unspoken and sometimes a very spoken, very visible sort of direction around what leadership looks like and how you have to hold yourself and carry yourself if you're going to navigate and succeed and advance in these spaces. And so what I found from a lot of the women of color that I met is that there's a real pressure to conform. It was one of the biggest issues that I found. And many of the women of color would share with me, they they were willing to conform or contort, I call it in the book, but they thought once they got to a leadership seat, they would do it their own way. And the challenge was once they got to a senior seat, there was actually even more pressure to conform and to toe the line and to hold the policy and to not raise issues because they had never done it before, right? And all of a sudden they were in the leadership seat and there was kind of this message of get along to get, you know, to, to, to keep, to stay here. Yeah. So that's really what we're talking about is that sometimes it's unspoken and sometimes it's clearly spoken, but all the women of color, I mean, it was almost unilateral have felt, have felt like they have lost their voice or, you know, uh, tame their style, what they wear, what they eat, what they, how they talk, what they talk about to navigate these spaces that were not designed by them or for them. That'd be doubly difficult then, because like, if I were to coach somebody, I don't, I don't know. I, I can coach a person, let's say, in how to develop political capital mm-hmm. or to to build the trust to um, uh, influence people, things mm-hmm. like that. Those are those are genuine, you know, desired leadership characteristics. But I don't. I guess I don't fully get this. How what what, what radar should a person put up so that it doesn't feel like editing one's authentic self. Mm-hmm. How does, I I don't know what to say or how to yeah. ask the question properly. Uh, yeah. Am I doing this? Yeah, right? no, absolutely. It, it, it is difficult. So I want to say that I want to kind of acknowledge what you're feeling is real. What's been really interesting as the book has come out is that it's been mostly male white leaders. I shared this with you that have picked it up early on. So the first two weeks, it wasn't women of color who were writing me. It was male white leaders, like CEOs, who were saying, I know something's different for my people of color, my women of color. I don't feel comfortable asking. Like I'm willing to say, yes, the, the system shows up differently, but there's not really space to ask anymore even. Like you're, you're not allowed to, you know, sometimes get educated in these in, in workspaces anymore either. And so I totally appreciate the double bind in, in, for a lot of, you know, white, white leaders and men and women. And so what I was trying to, explain in the book. And it really is 10 chapters of what is different for women of color in the workspace. On this topic in particular, what I coach women of color on is I'm not saying that we won't have to conform. I'm not saying that you can be your full self or your authentic self in all ways at all times. I don't think that works for anybody. And I don't think it serves anybody for me to just say, go be your authentic self. But what I'm telling women of color is a lot happens to us, even growing up in systems at school by our parents that also tell us to fit in and compromise. And so we end up not feeling powerful as we progress in our lives and our career. And so what I'm asking women of color to do is to sit down and understand what are maybe the six or 12. I don't, I have found with all the women 
when I spoke with, it's not hundreds of things they're not willing to compromise on or who define, you know, who they are in their leadership style. It's usually six to 12 things. And once you know what those things are, you don't have, you choose not to compromise on those things. And then it doesn't feel so painful. But a lot of the women of color I met didn't even know that it was happening to them. They just felt like they weren't able to be in full voice. They weren't able to show up. And again, for a lot of the black women I talked to, it was hair, right? It was just kind of what they wore and how they presented themselves. For a lot of the immigrant women I talked to, it was the fact that their experience at home was completely different and there was no space to talk about that. So there, there are nuances to this conversation, but it's really understanding that we all have uh, different lives outside of work. And sometimes at work, we are really muting you know, our full experience and what it feels like because we're just trying to to, to belong, right? Like that airplane analogy, we're just trying to get our suitcase up and kind of make it work. And it, it's a struggle. I, I, you know, I, I read this book, this guy named Patrick Lencioni, remember the five dysfunctions of a team book, mm-hmm. uh, maybe 20, 30 years ago. But in one, of, in one of his exercises, he was attempting to say, to, to bring out some authenticity and a person. Yeah. And one of his exercises was um, ex- tell somebody like in a, in a group setting about a difficult thing that happened in your childhood and how you, how you overcame that as, as an adult. And I, I have run that exercise in some of my own leadership workshops. And um, it is surprising to me across all categories of people, how nobody ever knew that about that one person. Yeah. And it's like, and I, and I have said, maybe hopefully not obnoxiously, um, you mean you've worked with each other for this number of years and you didn't know this about yeah. one another. And that that sort of came into my head yeah. when you're talking about what are these six things or, yep. or whatever that number is. Yep. That's exactly what we're talking about. It's those things you don't talk about, but for a lot of women and women of color, those are really important. You know, it really ties to this idea of imposter syndrome. So if you talk to men and if you talk to women, you'll find that women and women of color have a much higher level of imposter syndrome. And there's a lot of debate over the term and, you know, over the whole idea. But part of what I talk about in the book, and there's now new research out there that also suggests this, is that imposter syndrome feels like imposter syndrome to women and women of color because we don't see ourselves in systems around us because we're conforming and because we're contorting because the messages we're getting from the outside tell us we have to be a certain way. So of course we feel like we're imposters or, you know, the confidence is lacking, but that confidence and that gap isn't coming from inside us. It's coming because the systems and the structures around us don't actually make space for us. And so that's the difference. I mean, what the power, I mean, to get to the gist of the book, what I'm talking about is that women of color and women are powerful, but a lot happens to us to kind of minimize, to make us smaller, to kind of make us adjust. And what I'm suggesting is the more you adjust, the less you're in your power. And so you really have to figure out for yourself, who are you and what's important, and then figure out how you bring those parts to work. That's really what this work is about. Simply, you know, if you take away all the race, if you take away all the other aspects of what I'm talking about, that's really what, what at its core this is about. Are there like exercises that you do with people, maybe in workshop format, mm-hmm. where you you all get a chance to work on that like you give a, somebody an assignment to say let's try this or you're all mutually supporting one another um and have people come out with things and tricks that were or were suggestions that have been successful yeah you know i'll give you the one that i have used quite a bit and i'm, I'm realizing and so part of what's happened with the book is again i wrote it for women of color thought i'd be talking to women of color and so i've had to kind of adjust some of the messages for 
allies who I call co-conspirators in the book, because I want us to all be doing this work. Mm-hmm. So in workspaces, one of the big you know things I talk about is that women of color aren't always really ready to deal with microaggressions or racism when they happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not taught what to do. We're kind of caught flat footed. There's a lot of interesting experience that happens in a moment when someone says something racist, right? A lot of women of color I met end up feeling shame and pain in the moment. They almost feel shameful like they did something, even though it's happening to them. And so in those moments, and even now what I tell women of color do is I want you to understand that you're probably going to face an uncomfortable situation the next six months. When I say that, usually women of color say the next three weeks, you know, so very soon. So most women of color experience these things, whether they're small or large on a regular basis. I want you to practice what you're going to say in those situations, literally sit and think. So someone is going to say to you, for example, I used to always get, oh, you speak English very well. Like, where did you learn English? Well, I was born here, right? So Maybe that's a small thing to some people. That's a large thing to other people. So I got comfortable with a comeback to that. You know, like I got comfortable with what I was going to say to that because it used to really wound me, used to really upset me, used to really make me angry and a lot of emotion. But I got to a place where I realized that was about them and not me. And so when I coach women and women of color, I say, practice, write down the three things you're going to say when someone says something. Um, What's the most common, you know, microaggression or the most common thing that you've been told that really upsets you? Write it out and literally practice saying it. Because what happens in those moments is we get caught and we don't know what to say. And what I've started to coach even my, the white men that I work with and the white women that I work with is to also, I want you also to practice what you're going to say. When you see something, literally write out what you're going to do. Because what's so fascinating about this topic is that whether you're a woman of color or whether you're a white, you know, person walking in the United States, we haven't been taught what to do when something racist happens. Like none of us, even the women of color I met, most of them did not talk about race at home. You would think that we're women of color, like we know how to talk about race. A few of the black women that I interviewed, they had been warned about race, talked about race, talked about how racism was going to show up. Not all of them. And most of the immigrant women, most of the Asian women that I met, a lot of the Latino women, they didn't have conversations at race and home. So none of us are equipped or ready to have these discussions, especially in the workplace where we've been taught this doesn't happen at work. It's a meritocracy. Everything's going to be fine. So it's just practice. It's really getting comfortable. It's taking some of the emotion out and getting really comfortable with like exercising your skills and spaces when you know, it is uncomfortable for all of us. You know, to take the the the, the quote about you can't make an appointment with experience, you can't mm-hmm. make an appointment with microaggression, mm-hmm. um, and you don't know what is going to happen. I, I yeah. love this idea of recording the experience, even though you didn't have the quote unquote comeback, right? Yeah. But it, it's you, I think a person can learn to um, develop the repertoire of that. Exactly. Now, that is amazing. And I think even the greater opportunity is how how do how do you have other people share in those experiences? Do you have a platform to do that? But you mean how do like get other women of color to share what is going on? Is that what? Yeah, you're like saying? I I encountered the situation. Yeah. I put this in my book. Yeah. Here's what I came back at. Do you think I yeah. said the right thing? And that people can create a whole entire library, if you yeah. will. Uh, yeah. I know it doesn't sound like a, like a, a, it sounds weird to even say it like that, but like, what, what do you say? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. We, we post a few things on LinkedIn and people have responded in kind with, this is what I say, or this is what I do. No, it's a great idea. It's also what information is about. So information was skewed a little bit more um, for women of color with experience. We thought coming in, like we really wanted to speak with women of color leaders. We've kind of gotten to women who are around, you know, seven to 10 years plus of experience. And so it's not, you know, all 
you know, executive, le- you know, level women. But what was interesting is a quarter into our existence, so we're a year old, we polled our women and 25% of the women said they either left their job, asked for more money or took, you know, a different job, you know, quit, you know, something else within the company as a result of being in the community and not because we're teaching anything magical, but because they saw other women asking for more, you know, that same exercise of the three microaggressions, it applies to practicing what you're going to ask for when you're, you know, negotiating a a raise or a salary. It comes up when, you know, a lot of women of color um, that I work with get asked to do a lot of extra things, especially right now. So culture building activities, ERG roles, right? Sitting, sitting on committees, things that are not necessarily paid for right now. So you can practice what you're going to say when you get those asks. I mean, so much of this is realizing that we have power to negotiate. We have power to ask for what we want. Maybe we have to find ways that are palatable for everybody. And that's why that practice is so important. But it's about realizing there's not like a hundred things that are happening to women of color. There's probably about, you know, 25 to 30 that I can tell you are happening to almost 30% of the women of color I meet on a regular basis. And so how do we get better equipped to deal with those things? And then, you know, there's a lot of other work that has to get done. I'm not saying this is simple. There's a lot of toxic culture out there. There's a lot of learning that has to be done, but it's kind of what do you do in those situations so you don't feel powerless? I hope that you have the wherewithal to collect data about how the bar will get raised through (laughs) the work that you're doing. Different topic. I I was going to ask you a question about business acumen and your own development of business acumen, but I wanted to just reinforce something about what you have said. You, and, and this is an element of business acumen and that's understanding markets and understanding customers and market segments, which is what what you're doing, right? And you had a, a supposition or a hypothesis, um, and you have now discovered that, well, we were targeting this, but this is what ended up happening. Mm-hmm. The lesson in business acumen, which I'm, I'm saying your lesson because yeah. I'm, I'm being first person in you now, I'm walking in yep. your shoes, is that you have an idea, you have an, a hypothesis, you carry it out. So you executed on the strategy of the book. You are now learning there are other people who need to understand this. You also may not even know this now. You're going to be working on your next book because what you are now learning and you are now an active learner is that you will be able to begin to um, understand more deeply as you peel things back. And it's something that other people will also begin to emulate in you. Right. So that is the I don't have to ask you about the exhibition of business acumen because you are you are you are living it in in, right before our eyes. And I I have to commend you to that. That is really amazing. Right. Um, Thank you. Yeah. No, I have to say just of your audience, it was a little bit painful the first two weeks because. I was a little bit dumbstruck. Like I get, I, I probably did 50, you know, interviews between journalists and podcasters in the first two weeks leading up to it. And I was really upset. I was like, this is not what I wrote this book for. And why am I having to do translations? But probably 10 days in, I realized it's actually a bigger audience, right? It's a bigger conversation. It doesn't mean I can't speak to women of color. I just have to go find them. Like they're part of what I learned in that process is they're not as many podcasters. They're not as many journalists. And so the segment that I'm trying to reach, I'm going to have to find them a different way. So just, just to share with the audience, it wasn't all, it wasn't all, you know, balloons and, and hearts as that happened. It was a little bit painful, but then I got to a good place with it. Well, almost as I talked about before, even before I start, we started, um, when I started Business Acumen Institute, it was a this idea of a specific target, mm-hmm. but I live by my own, you know, mm-hmm. you know and that is the yeah. market is teaching me and this idea behind emerging leaders and managers, 
Now, now across multiple segments, which I'm learning from you, um, matters. And I think that there are core constructs of business and leadership that everybody who want who aspires to higher levels um, need to get under their belt. You still have to have the basics down. And I think that's really important. Is there any, like, what, what else would you want to share with people um, as, as we're winding down, because I'm always cognizant of the time um, that you think is really critical that they understand and take to heart. Yeah. I would just say, you know, we had a very, I think, practical conversation about this topic. It is highly emotional. It is highly difficult. You know, when I go into companies and and work with executives, sometimes white executives in particular, white male executives, they'll say to me, you know, I speak to my employees. They tell me how it is. My black and brown employees will talk to me. I'll go meet with those same black and brown employees an hour later, and I get a whole different set of stories. And so I think it's really important to understand we're early in this process. We are just creating safety, you know, creating safe spaces where conversations like this can happen. I think we need to understand that as people of color and women of color, we're just getting comfortable telling our truth about what happens in workplaces because until you know the last few years, there hasn't been space to do that. So it's just really acknowledging that this is early. This is not as simple as some of the other business issues. See a problem, you know, unpack it. Like there's a lot more emotion attached to this. And so it's going to take more time. And when people say, you know, where do you think we are in this journey? I think we're early. Like, I think this is going to be hard. And a lot of companies, you know, I, I want to say it's a positive message. I'm surprised by how many companies have reached out want to have this discussion, how many leaders want to have this discussion, but it's going to take time. It's not a one and done sort of conversation. And I would also say to people that are listening here, you need to give yourselves permission to get it wrong. Like this is difficult. You're not going to get it right the first time. It does take practice. So in the same way that I'm telling you to practice what you're going to do, practice how you're going to apologize because you know even I have to do that. Like I can't get it all right. And I've studied this topic for five years. So just understanding that it's permission and you know grace, I think is some of what this work is about. Yes. And and one of the other things I think I've learned along the way is a little bit of humility. Yeah, absolutely. We do not have the answers and that, you know, I think the big, a big thing is we're always willing to learn and it's not adaptation to the point, uh, to the point of a negativity, but it's, it's learning and growing. Mm-hmm. which I, there is, evolution is about that. Evolution mm-hmm. is about that adapting to whatever the ecosystem or environment that we're in. It's just the positive spin um, that will help propel and motivate people to do more. And for others who ha- who exhibit not so great behaviors, maybe there'll be a little bit of a spark for them to stop some of that yeah. and, and continue and help. We... I think also, um, you know, you, you mentioned something about the resignation thing I think, mm-hmm. before we got on. And and the, the thing about it is what I'm learning from leadership development and other talent development people is that it's not about, it wasn't about the resignation specifically. It was about what what did a company offer a person mm-hmm. to, to stay and to continue to learn and grow Absolutely. And I think, oh, well, now we have to train people because it's part of our retention strategy. It That's a reaction that I think is, you know, it, it's like the knee jerk. Oh, we have to go do this now because we let it get away from us. I think that is it is an imperative for senior executives to always be on the on high alert for 
um, talent and leadership development across all categories of people. And to suspend it because the numbers are great and we don't want to invest in HR and talent and the other things because eh, everything is okay is is not a productive use of their their efforts. Anyway, I do. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think we're in a really interesting time maybe to wrap with that. Like I think the last few years have really led us to a point where, you know, I talk about this all the time. I don't, I think what we, it's not that every, anything shifted fundamentally. I think it's more that work hadn't been working for a lot of people, but there hadn't really been space to talk about that. And the conversation we're having now is what space do we want work to take in our lives as human beings? And what does that look like? And we're not willing to compromise some of the things we were willing to compromise before. You know, a lot of the reason I think the book has gotten attention is because what I'm trying to suggest to women of color is you can't continue to sacrifice yourself to rise in a system that doesn't recognize and see you because so many of the women of color I met were sick, were not healthy. And so we're in a moment where I think everyone is asking for different things and there's more attention, more opportunity to talk about what's broken in an attempt to make it better for everybody. And that's really what this work is about. That's great. That is great. Anyway, so um, we've reached um, our, our conclusion, but I don't. I think this is just sort of a continuation of a conversation that needs to take place. Deepa, author of The First, The Pew, The Only, How Women of Color Redefine power in corporate America. Thank you for um, affording us this opportunity to work with you. Um, It's been an honor. So thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. And for all of you, this is another edition of Masters of Business. Um, And we hope you'll continue to tune in on your favorite podcast channels, on YouTube and whatever video format we ultimately end up with. Um, I'm Stephen Haynes for Masters of Business, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Masters of Business with Stephen Haynes, a podcast that captures the ideas and lessons learned from thinkers and leaders in business. If you'd like to take your company to the next level, consider the courses and books from the Business Acumen Institute. To learn more, go to business-acumen.com.